Hi, I'm April Klumkevich. And I'm Amanda McClooney, and this is Her Step Forward, where we share stories from women who step up, step out, and step forward into careers and lives they love. Irina Prevet's mission is to live a life she loves abroad while helping others see things through new eyes. Born in Romania, raised in Canada, and now living in Finland, where I met her through my sister many years ago, Irina has had to learn languages to adapt to the big transitions going on in life. From Romanian to French to English, and most recently Finnish, Irina became fascinated by each language's ability to help her shape her identity and reveal new and sometimes contradictory perspectives about the world. Based on her time abroad since 1993, Irina brings together experiences to empower foreigners to create lives they love abroad, whether the current challenges are related to language, culture, or to a greater personal transition. It's easy to see why Irina's philosophy fits ours at her step forward. You can find out more about working with Irina and follow her journey at www.irinapravet.com. Welcome, Irina. We're so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, April. Thanks, Amanda. It's great to be here. Awesome. So Finnish is not your first language, but you help people learn Finnish, which is typically agreed to be the single hardest language in the world to learn. How did you discover that language learning would be how you contribute to the world? Well, I think what I wanted to do for a living was never a clear answer to me. And since I was little, I was never one of those kids who was like, I'm going to be this when I grow up. I would just look around. And I'm like, I have no idea. But this language thing was something that I could do. And as is the case for most of us, the things that we're really good at, we're completely blind to. And we're Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is a normal thing. Like, there's nothing special about this. Mm -hmm. And funny story. So I think I was maybe 17, like either in my, my second last or last year of high school, my parents were kind of bugging me like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to speak German. <laughs> like a real conversation. This is a real conversation that we had. And they're like, that's not a career. <laughs> and, and, you know, but like, what do you really want to do? It's like, well, I want to speak German. And they were like, yeah, okay, let's compromise. You can go to business school and you can speak German while you business. <laughs> So anyway, like long story short, had to really not like try to find my path through all of this business stuff. And I ended up just realizing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And this, this took me like a whole bunch of tries with working in companies, working in startups, working in, you know, really traditional hierarchical corporations. Well, just the one, but you know, that was enough. And I was just like, no, 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 no. And so I started reading this book that was saying, you know, why don't you brainstorm a hundred businesses, you know, a hundred business ideas because a hundred was such an insane number. Mm -hmm. I think around 32, I got to, Hey, I've done this thing where I've learned Finnish and I've seen so many people struggle with it and I'm doing something very different from what they're doing. So why don't I teach them that? And I like chucked the list and it was like, this is going to be the idea. And that's where it started. Cool. I love that. Do you by chance remember the name of this book that helped you with your hundred business ideas? It was by James Altucher, but I don't even remember the title, but I'm really (laughs) exercise that I came across through him. You mentioned how you learn Finnish was different from how other people learn Finnish. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? How did you know to do something different? 
people think of language learning as this separate thing. And for me, it's like, it's a part of life. It's a medium of communication. I used to say that I learned languages because I was in the right place at the right time. And basically it was just like, it was required from life. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I never like decided that I was going to sit with a finished book or sit in a finished classroom and that that would be the extent of my learning. Those things were just stepping stones. And so I, one of the things that really, really helped me is I had, first of all, in my family, language learning was a thing, but it it wasn't a thing like the way it's a thing this way with like people nerding out on languages. Uh, But like my grandmother was a translator. She spoke five languages. And when I was like younger, I was like, I want to speak five languages when I grow up because grandma does it. And I want to learn the same ones as her. I did four out of five. I've never learned Italian, but she never learned Finnish. So, and so basically there was always this kind of very positive growth mindset around learning languages in in my family. And then I had some really, really positive experiences early on, like when we moved to Canada and I was put in this maternelle accueil, which is like kindergarten hosting or kindergarten reception. It's for the children of immigrants. It's like ESL, but for French. And that empowered me so much to know myself and to know that I can learn and to have that experience early on. Whereas what I saw in terms of how Finnish was being taught and how people were learning it was kind of inherently, and I do have a little bit of hesitation about saying this, but it was kind of inherently disempowering in the way that I saw a lot of people take it on. And I didn't always agree with the teacher's approach So in that sense, from early on, I took responsibility for my own finish. Um, And I knew what to do because, well, I made a lot of mistakes. It was a lot of trial and error, but I I, I was like, I know this is possible. I'm going to plow through it and like find, uh, you know, my, my way. So how did I know what to do? I was incredibly stubborn. And I also had some formative experiences that allowed me to, quite frankly, be a pain in the ass of a student and also just like plow my way through. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I think to your point about a lot of people not knowing what they want to be when they grow up, I think as I become older, I'm, I realize that I'm in the same exact position, but I think that as I become older, I see more and more like the thing that people go to school for in a lot of cases is not necessarily what they want to do. It's not where they end their career at, you know? So I think it's so interesting that as we become older, we kind of realize, you know, when I was 16, 17, thinking about what I wanted to be when I grow up, well, I wasn't grown up. So now I've evolved so much as a person. So I appreciate you pointing that out and being very candid about that. I can be the poster woman for like having no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up, (laughs) up until like two years ago where I was still like, what the hell am I doing? Cause, and, and now I've just, like gotten comfortable in that. Mm-hmm. So even though we say like, oh, language learning is what you wanted to to do, it's like, well, you know, it's part of this bigger thing. And I'm not quite sure where <laughs> I'm taking it, but I'm gonna keep trusting that every step will lead me closer to something. Um and I like that you brought that up, Amanda, because it also reminds me that all the stuff we went to school mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. I had to, one of the most difficult things was to let go of that and to be like, it's okay to not do this, even if I spent seven years studying this. And that I trust that whatever I learned there is going to be useful for me in some way, shape or form. But yeah, that was a really like breaking point moment where I decided it's okay to not do that. And it can get really heavy. And I think we can spend years just carrying that around just out of the like not being ready to let go or not properly facing the thing. Right. 
So speaking of languages, you have a TEDx talk about language learning and you do a cartwheel across the floor in front of the audience to illustrate your point about progression. Can you tell us a little bit about what doing that speech was like and the message that you hope people get from your TEDx talk? Yeah. So actually, like if anybody listening to this is planning on doing a TEDx talk, I think that the message, the underlying message that you're communicating, that needs to be like your central focus because it can be so nerve wracking. I've met some other people who have done TEDx talks and and who have, who told me like it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. And uh, for me, it was maybe one of the most terrifying, but also one of the most exhilarating. So being on that stage, I was like, okay, this is home and I need to be doing this more. I did that talk like almost four years ago and I'm still trying to get up on that stage and and do that more. But that talk pushed me so far out of my comfort zone. It forced me so far beyond what I think I felt comfortable putting out and just the whole wave that I was riding in that process was like, this is not about me. This, this message is bigger than me. I actually watched a couple of years ago, I watched a, a TED talk by Monica Lewinsky, who shares like what, you know, the whole ground zero was like of her experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the creator of TED commented that she had at the top of her paper written, this is about the message because she was just so scared. So my experience was was not as intense, thankfully, but but at the same time, it definitely required for me to get really clear about what I wanted to communicate. Mm-hmm. And one of the main things that I saw people struggling with was not showing up for learning finish. And, and, and because they had one foot in this, I don't really believe it's possible. And I think that's so disempowering, right? It's like, you're not even standing on a foundation. You haven't really fully committed to what you're doing. And I was trying to give this perspective to really show that our beliefs about what is possible are actually influenced by things that have nothing to do with our abilities. Um, So that's why I called the talk, uh, can you learn the hardest language in the world? (laughs) Probably the best marketing choice I've ever made because I studied marketing. I've had a really hard time using marketing, but that one time it worked really well. So the day that I heard about getting the TEDx spot, or actually, okay. So what happened was I read a book called Talk Like TED. And, you know, I, I just kind of put out there into the universe, just like, oh, it'd be nice to do a TEDx talk one day. Okay, one day. This was March. Mm-hmm. So I finished the book and then I see on Facebook that there's like a TEDx being organized in Espo, which is like the neighboring city over from Helsinki. And, and I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. So I'm like, oh, I want to attend the event. And I look and, and I look at their website and I'm like, oh, they're still looking for speakers. Like they said they had a bunch and they were, there were still open applications. So I sent them a message saying, hey, can I apply? And nobody replied. And I was like, oh, well, maybe that's it. And then you don't even have to be that persistent, but just to get like a, a firm yes or a firm no, I think can be so important. So I decided to just call up the guy. I figured I had nothing to lose. And I called him up and he was like, what? I didn't get your email. And he was like, yes, we're still taking applications. Send it in. And I did. And then I got it. A month ago, I read a book about this being like, one day it would be nice. And then it like plop and it appears. So that was just so kind of incredibly like, okay, need to be a little bit persistent and not just assume like that, you know, the 
the e- the email was received and you were not wanted there or something like that. So yeah, awesome. absolutely. This is something that I share with clients all the time because they're like, oh, like, but if I call somebody up or if I email them, what if I'm bothering them? And my answer is if you're bothering them, they're not going to respond. But it doesn't hurt to try. So, you know, you never know what opportunities you can create for yourself if you try. And I'm glad that you have had that positive experience. That's great. Yeah. In that talk, you shared about the social isolation and rejection you sometimes felt when everyone around you was speaking Finnish before you could understand it. You've said that when we feel those things, it lights up the same areas of our brains that experience pain. So can you talk to us about overcoming those feelings and the journey to create a business to help others who are suffering in the same way? Basically, I didn't feel in that talk that it was like the space or the time to tell my story. And I felt incredibly vulnerable. So I tried to infuse in there as much of my message of hope that I discovered over the years. Um, And that one sentence that you picked up on is like, my way of reaching out and saying, hey, I actually know what this feels like. Um, I think I think one of the hardest things for me has been that I feel like I've had to choose, and I've actually never shared this anywhere before. So I feel like I've had to choose between being a Finn and being a foreigner. Mm-hmm. And that has been really difficult because I don't really feel like I belonged in either camp either. (laughs) In the beginning, you know, I felt like, okay, well, if I want to fit in, then I need to be speaking Finnish all the time. And I noticed that when I spoke English, then suddenly it was like, okay, like I lost all my opportunities to speak Finnish. So so that's where I think that uh, tension came from. And, and what was really challenging, which actually is not exactly what I shared in that talk, but about the pain was that by making that choice of, okay, so now I'm going to speak more Finnish and then eventually getting to this level of quote unquote success where I'm like, okay, I can speak now. I can handle whatever situation comes at me. I sort of like alienated myself away from the foreigners that I thought, you know, now I can help. And, and so that was a really interesting kind of duality that I'm still trying to like figure out how to communicate this properly. But I think that I discovered that pain was my greatest teacher and that I needed to really look at what is it that I was running away from or what is it that I was afraid of or what was it that was causing me so much pain from this, you know, feeling isolation, feeling cut off, feeling left out, feeling like you don't belong, which are things that everybody feels at some point in their lives, but especially if you move abroad. And in that sense, like even to this day, I think my compass and my barometer towards pain, I always find it really helpful. And and nowadays I don't let the pain get so intense, even just a little thing. I'm like, oh, there's an opportunity there. There's something to work out there. There's something to learn from this. And this is where I think language comes in and where I think the distinction is really important. So I say, it's not about learning Finnish just so you could say you speak Finnish. It's learning Finnish for life. And so when, when we decide, this is kind of the fork in the road. If you say either you learn or, and you try, or you decide it's not possible. So if you decide it's not possible and you don't want to learn, that's fine. That's your decision. But there is so much pain associated with that decision because you are basically cutting yourself off 
from the entire linguistic environment in the area where you live. So, okay, I understand that maybe like, for example, for you, you live in the States, you speak English, right? Imagine not speaking English, right? That, so, so your opportunities would be like fractions. You know, the world you would live in would be so filled with fear and, and so much like tension and, and all this stuff. So in that sense, the isolation and, and this idea of rejection, it's, it's good to acknowledge that it's there, but at the same time, you also want to kind of look and be like, what is this trying to tell me as opposed to, I need to like barricade all the doors and protect myself from this. I think that's a really powerful thought because I think our instinct is stop the pain, stop it, block it, pretend it's not happening. And I think that it's- Oh, and I did that too, by the way. Sure. I mean, we had to, we had to get where we are. So we've tried all the, all the ways, but I think the the powerful thing that you've learned is that accepting it and saying, okay, I'm not going to let it overwhelm me, but instead I'm going to look for the moments where I can change this to help me. So I really mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It, it, it feels like you can move mountains in that process. You can find like the path of least resistance, you know, but sometimes we just have to sit with, I love this, this concept of koans, these like riddles or these questions that you, you meditate on or you sit with and you're just like, I don't know what the answer is, but you don't jump to a conclusion about what's impossible, for example, because that shuts a lot of doors that could otherwise be leading you to a better place to be. And ultimately all I want is just to feel good in my life. I think I came here for fun. I, I think life was supposed to feel good. And and maybe it was so many experiences earlier in life also that felt so bad and so out of alignment with who I now realize that I am or becoming or whatever, that the tolerance for that pain has gotten like less and less over time. I love that. I'm I'm so happy that you've found your way and now so you're having fun in Finland as you set up. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's a journey. It's a journey. for sure it is. <laughs> so Arena, tell us a little about your philosophy on life, how you maintain balance and um some of the things that you do to unwind and reconnect with yourself. Oh, I love that question. Okay. Um <laughs> maintain balance. So so yeah, just like I, I mentioned, my my goal is to feel good. Mm-hmm. And for me to maintain balance, I first had to swing from like neurotic control everything and critical to just stop everything. So mm-hmm. so you know how people say slow down. Like I didn't slow down. I screeched to a stop and was like, cannot do anything until <laughs> something resolves because everything felt bad. So I'm I'm still coming out of that, by the way, but now I'm actually able to speak about it. So I think around 2015, 16, 17, I was like coming out of burnout or realizing I had burnout. And it's just this year where I'm like, I really was burnt out because I have so much more energy now. But so what have been kind of invaluable tools along the way? Yoga, yoga with Adrian, YouTube, best, <laughs> best ever just learning about meditation basically and practicing presence. So some people say mindfulness, but it's kind of like, just, am I here in this moment right now? Like I'm with the two of you in this moment now, and I'm not thinking about like the groceries I have to buy later. Or something like that. 
So, and, and really like coming at things from a place of compassion for myself, trying to understand, I think the totality of my experience. So it's not just taking things out of context. And I think that's what makes the internet a terrifying place these days. Cause you can say something that gets completely extrapolated and taken out of context. And it's like, are we honoring the totality of that person's experience? So um, nature, we actually, in 2016, my husband and I moved to an apartment near the forest, which was amazing, best decision ever. So getting out to, into nature, I find really is like a balm for the hyperactive brain and just feels like there's nothing to do. You can just be. I've cleaned up my diet tremendously. Uh, so I don't know, it doesn't have a name, but like clean eating, I just like took out a whole bunch of stuff. And that, that was actually a huge shift when I was burnt out where I noticed like, okay, my brain is operating at like a totally new level where like what I was anxious about, like a week earlier seemed like no big deal. And I was like, wow, I had no idea that food can make such a difference. And yeah. And I try to move to be honest, after all this like burnout and tiredness, I've just been very static. So now I'm finding ways to do some dance, do some acrim yoga. I just signed up for Pilates last week. So I'm, I'm trying to play with it and also dance around my house. So Mm -hmm. I still have some resistance in this area, but these are the things that I think in terms of life philosophy and, and yeah. So for me, it's not so much about reconnecting. It's like I'm plugged in and I'm, challenging myself to get out there. So it's like the opposite thing. But yeah, those decisions I think have been really good because a lot of times people say, you know, you don't have to drop everything and that's fine. But I genuinely wanted to drop everything. I just wanted to hit the explode button. And like, they tell you in all the books and all the things you do, it's like, don't do this. It's like, well, you know, it's not everybody's path, but it was mine. So, and I'm reading this like, what if you already hit the explode button? (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like all of these things that you mentioned really help you get in the right mental space eventually. Yeah. And sometimes I get overwhelmed and I'm like too many things to do. And they're like all my rituals. And then like this past week, I've just been like, drop them. It's fine. The only real thing you need is to be present. So like, just stop. You don't need to do like 35 yoga routines before you're present. <laughs> you just breathe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So kind of on that thought of being present, thinking differently, I know that learning languages also helps people think differently. Mm-hmm. Has learning so many languages and living in so many places impacted your sense of self? Absolutely. So it's funny that you said about presence and thinking differently because. Also, I think what I'm trying to get out and teach into the world is that we actually need to be very conscious and present when we're learning a language. And most of us are doing it from a like panic state right now. And it's not working because we're not present with with it. And what I find so beautiful about the fact that you're learning a language, you're not just learning words, you're absorbing a whole system of thinking. You're absorbing an entire culture's like history and the unspoken assumptions. That's what I think culture is. It's the unspoken assumptions that are shared by all the people um, as part of that society, basically. And even if, of course, individuals are different, right? But, But even when we're just talking about 
a culture, they're all aware of what, what is the baseline or what is the agreed upon reality, let's say. So, so for me, I've been kind of learning languages like people collect souvenirs. So if I spend a couple years here and a couple years there, like it's only normal that I would participate or I am. And from that, I would gain this language and this new perspective. It's interesting how that then leads me to reflect back on myself and, okay, there's a Finnish part of me and there's a French Canadian part of me and there's, you know, a English Anglophone Canadian part of me. There's even little pieces of Spanish me and little pieces of German <laughs> and of course, big chunk of Romanian me. And so sometimes I think this all culminated actually when I was on exchange in Germany And I, I was writing this paper about memory in the GDR, so in the former communist part of Germany. And I wrote, like, it, it was in German. So I wrote this essay in German. It was my first academic paper in German. It was like 20 pages. And I just like tried to translate online everything. Anyway, so I show up in my professor's office and I'm like, I'm like going through a crisis, right? Because I'm talking about memory in the former communist part of Germany. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Like the Canadian part of me was like seeing it from a Canadian point of view. Like, of course, after the wall came down, the Western part of Germany was like telling the Eastern part of Germany how you can prosecute, you know, criminals and stuff. And then the Eastern part of Germany was deeply hurt that they were basically told like your whole system of living because you lived in a corrupt system was wrong. And then there were like these tensions And then, so the Canadian part of me that was like, of course, and the Romanian part of me was like, who do you think you are? We're like at war with each other while I was doing this essay, which I then had to present in for my German like classmates. And then I was like, if I say anything stupid, I'm sorry, because I'm obviously not German, but I still had these pieces. So I think that was maybe one of the most illuminating experiences where my professor was like trying to figure out how to comfort me. <laughs> He's like, uh, I think you're doing really great. Like you, you don't have a thesis and you've written 10 pages, but, but like, obviously the, the assignment was having an effect on me. You know, I think I love this because I think when you talk about the intent of learning language, if the intent is to communicate what you know, there is probably less desire to learn a language because all you're doing is trying to share what you already know but if yeah, you're, you're just making like a copy of yourself like yeah. April in English April in Spanish it's the same thing I'm just translating words but that's not what it is right sure so like if your intent instead is to think differently and learn a culture then I think you can buy in more to want to learn that language so that is a really interesting thought that I I hadn't had before speaking with you very very interesting <laughs> yeah. And I think the, the, where it got like really, really intense for me in Finland is that the culture here is the like polar opposite of my natural tendency. <laughs> and I think a lot of foreigners find that too, where they're like, I don't know if I want to do this. But oftentimes when I hear Finnish culture discussed, it's being discussed in English, which quite frankly is like, my opinion, the dumbest thing ever, because you're, you're applying English thinking, which doesn't even mean anything, because are you American, Canadian, uh, Australian, like we all have different ways of thinking, right? But, and of course, as individuals on top of that. Um, but then, and then we're trying to fit Finnish culture into this box that is acceptable through the English 
whatever is decided as international English, like, like this is good and this is bad. And, and it's not until I started really participating in Finnish culture and like living it. And even like I was working at a gymnastics club in Finnish that suddenly I was like, Oh, like this isn't hurtful. This is just the way it is. This is how I speak to these kids. This is how they speak to me. And then you participate in like a 360 environment and suddenly a part of you wakes up and goes, yeah, I see how this works in this context. And that's nothing you could ever learn in a classroom. Mm -hmm, Right. I love that. It sounds like such an incredible journey that you've had. I have goosebumps after I just said that. Irina, wrapping up for today, one of the things that we always love to ask all of our guests, what's your best piece, or maybe you have more than one piece of advice for women who are looking to take their next step forward? I wrote down a quote that I was like, if there's an opportunity to bring that up, you know, today I will. So maybe, maybe this is a sign and this is the quote. So I I came across this in like a windowsill in like a hair salon one time and I took a picture of it. I can't remember who said this, but they said, I promise if you keep looking for everything beautiful in this world, you will eventually become it. That's beautiful. I like that. That that moved me like a lot. So I wanted to share that. I think there's so many, there's so much advice, there's so much information out there. And I really think it's helpful to remember that each and every one of us has all of our answers. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for many of us, we spend years like educating ourselves and learning more and more and more and more, only to realize that we've actually had the answers inside all along. So it, this is not to say don't go learn anything but just know that you already kind of have everything you need, which is, I can't believe I'm saying this after like 10 years of like, <laughs> I really don't know, I don't have the answers. And then I'm like, oh, it was here all along. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I guess that would be my my piece of advice. And I'm also obsessed with personality tests because I find that, you know, I mentioned like what is normal for us or mm-hmm. what we're, what we excel at and what we're gifted and talented in is like so commonplace that we're like, Oh, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. But personality tests kind of shine a light on that. And I actually love getting super into them because then you can see where do I stand compared to others. And then you can kind of see, like, you can sort of believe even more. It's not just like, you're good at this, but in the context of we all have these gifts and this is where we excel. So I think that supports nicely this idea that we have the answers and that, you know, acknowledging the totality of our experience, I think is, is the way to get like that confidence in yourself for taking that next step. Forward. I love that you mentioned personality assessments. This is something that I work with clients on. And so many people who come to me for career coaching start at the end. They're like, what am I interested in? I don't know. How can I figure it out? And it's like, well, you can't because you haven't done the self-reflection first so that when you do think about what you're interested in, you can actually hold that up against who you are and your personal areas of genius. And Mm -hmm. like you said, um, towards the beginning of our chat today, the things that come naturally to us, we don't even see because we're like, well, that's just normal. And I see that again and again and again. And I think looking at personality assessments and kind of seeing on paper, hey, you're good at this, has Mm -hmm. helped numerous clients of mine. And so I think it's pretty fascinating that you bring that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally converted. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I agree. Actually, April had pointed out to me um, last week that I should do a, a personality assessment and it had been years since I'd done one. And you're right. I mean, it's like when you see it on paper, you're like, oh yeah, this is me. Like, <laughs> If they wrote a book about me, this is where they would start. Like it's, it's so <laughs> scary accurate. And, and you guys are both right in that it's easy to tune out what you just think is, oh, like that's just me. But once you like really I guess, turn inward and look and, and start to think about that. And, and you have the personality test that, um, you know, the results just kind of help to pinpoint a few things that are, that are so easy to take for granted. So yeah, I do agree with both of you that those personality tests are amazing. <laughs> Scary and accurate. I'll, <laughs> and I'll add one thing on top of this that has to do with language is that Sometimes we get kind of stuck in the box of our language. Mm -hmm. And when we learn a new language, we learn that there are parts to ourselves that we like want to communicate, we want to express, but we hadn't previously been able to within the box of that language. And then step out of the box where there are no expectations and you don't have rehearsed patterns, you know, in Finnish, I didn't have like people pleasing or whatever as like an issue, right? And I was able to communicate because also the culture encourages it to communicate your needs and set your boundaries. And I was like, oh, apparently I don't have this problem. <laughs> so, so it can be so fascinating, especially for people living abroad, but well, for all of us, but in that sense, like finding also like, oh, I actually can do this if I change uh, the environment or if I adopt a new way of seeing. Fantastic. I'm so glad that you joined us. So I thank you for having me. Of course. And we want to say thank you to everyone else out there for listening in with us today. As always, we're looking forward to sharing more stories soon. But in the meantime, check out our website at herstepforward.com or follow us on Instagram at herstepforward for all the latest updates. If you'd like to reach out to us, shoot us a message on Instagram or email us at info at herstepforward.com. See you next time.